Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert Kennedy. This is the podcast where we dive into a specific topic or a question affecting everyone on Earth right now or in the next 10 years. If it can kill us or turn us into CRISPR robots, uh, we're in. Our guests are scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians, astronauts. We had a reverend. Mm -hmm. uh, and we work together towards action steps that our listeners can take with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. That's right. And this is your friendly reminder that you can send us questions, hate mail, thoughts, feedback, uh, hand-drawn pictures uh, on Twitter at importantnotimp, or you can email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. You can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter. It's kind of an all the news you missed, uh, except it's the really important shit, uh, right at importantnotimportant.com. On this week's episode, we are going to tell you why you, you, should mm -hmm. run for something in 2020. That's right. Uh, and our uh, guest this week is the formidable Amanda Littman. Uh, Amanda is the co-founder and executive director of Run for Something. Uh, very vague. Um, they <laughs> help recruit and support young, diverse progressives to run for down-ballot races uh, in order to build a bench of those progressives for the future. Uh, they aim to lower the barriers to entry for these candidates, which, again, could and should be you, unless you're a white guy, uh, by helping you with seed money, organization building, and access to training. She has worked for Barack Obama, mm -hmm. for Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. She loves dogs. Mm -hmm. She wrote a book. Mm -hmm. And that's... The dog she, thing is really the thing. Yeah, yeah. I saw, it was like, <laughs> loves dogs. I was like, ignore the rest. We should have her on. She does That'd it be all. Great. Yeah, we are thankful for her. We're thankful for uh, everything she's already accomplished in all of her many jobs and helping to, to, to save the planet just a little bit in 2018 and, and hopefully more uh, going future. And yeah, I feel like this is just the beginning for her. And it's already been a lot. I know. One of these days, we're going to have to have a fantasy draft of yeah. all of our guests. Yeah. And just, I mean, imagine imagine what they could do. Oh, my Rotisserie God. style. Just trouble. Do you play fantasy sports? I just got eliminated from my fantasy basketball league. Perfect. Very sad. Good, good, good. <laughs> but it was great. Keeper league? I don't know what that means. Okay, great. Yep. Let's go talk to Amanda. Let's do it. Our guest today is Amanda Littman, and together we're going to tell you why you should run for something. Amanda, welcome. Hi, so glad to be here. For sure. We are very excited to have you. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, um, just let everybody know who you are and what you do. So my name is Amanda. As you said, I am the co-founder and executive director of Run for Something, a PAC that recruits and supports young, diverse progressives running for local office across the country. Uh, that's so vague. That's so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously, uh, you are one of the humans that helped uh, put put a stop to this Indiana Jones rolling ball of, of, of darkness uh, that was barreling our way. Uh, at the last election. So we, we thank you for that. I, I do want to, we usually don't do the whole life story thing, but I'm curious how you got to where you said, I got to put my foot down and do something about this uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, I am pretty boring. I will say I grew up in Virginia. Hey now. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> Wait, Virginia. Where, where cool. Virginia? Fairfax. I'm from Williamsburg. Oh, very nice. I've All been right. to Fairfax. It's a, a perfect fine point. place to be from. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, I went to Northwestern for college specifically because I wanted to work for Barack Obama. Brian's awesome. from Chicago. Brian, this is going this great. Is wonderful. So many connections. Um, <laughs> I my senior year in college, I started interning for his reelection campaign, doing online fundraising. So if you ever got an email from his campaign or from any other down the road, um, that was in part because of me and my team. So awesome. sorry, not sorry about that. 
Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, awesome. please don't be. Uh, went and worked there for a while through the election, uh, worked for his nonprofit for a year, went down to Florida, worked on the governor's race there for a year, and then moved up to New York. And I worked for Hillary Clinton's campaign for two years. Um, I was her email director, which is a pretty confusing title given how often Hillary Clinton's emails were in the news. But Wait, what did you do? (laughs) I have to explain to my grandma quite a few times. No, Granny, not those emails. (laughs) Right, right. Oh, God, Granny, please. just Please, it's just fine. No more. But so the election came and went. As you may recall, it was terrible. Mm, Um, And I pretty quickly started hearing from friends from high school and college who reached out to me to say, hey, Amanda, you're the only person I know that works in politics. I want to do something about this. What do I do? Um, in particular, I had one dude from college who was like, I want to run for office. And I don't know where to start, but I'm a school teacher in Chicago. Our public school budgets are getting slashed. I seems like anybody can run for office. So where do I go? Um, <laughs> and I didn't have an answer did, for him. There wasn't did, was he specific a, about what kind of office he wanted to run for? Um, he was thinking about state legislature or city council, sort of depending on the the timing and what he was thinking about. But Ultimately, I didn't have an answer for him because there wasn't somewhere you could go that if you didn't want to run for Congress, you didn't want to necessarily run for governor. You had never been in politics before, but you were maybe in your 20s or 30s. You knew how to solve a problem and you just wanted to get in the door. There was nowhere you could go that would help you. And that felt to me like a symptom of really larger problems within the Democratic Party and within progressive infrastructure. So sent an email to a whole bunch of friends with an idea, one of whom connected me to her husband, this incredible operative named Ross Morales Ricketto. We sat down, we wrote a plan, we built a website. And then on Inauguration Day, we launched Run for Something. And we thought, this will be a small, fun side hustle. <laughs> We're going to take some up <laughs> with a cool hobby. And instead, a thousand people signed up to tell us they want to run in the first week. Uh, 20,000 oh, signed up in two years. And as of today, we're up to about 31,000 people who say they want to run for office. That's wild. So what sort of intake system did, and, and we'll get to what it is now. I'm, I'm sure you've learned a lot of lessons yeah. uh, and, and obviously had a ton of success, but like for those first thousand people that came knocking down your door, what sort of intake system and process did you have set up to, to absorb them, to start pointing them in the right direction? On day one, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but by two weeks in, I sat down with some incredible organizers. And what we ended up building is, in some way, shape, or form, the same system we have today. The technology is a little different and the process is a little mm-hmm. tighter. But the idea being that real people um, are just as qualified to screen for candidates as political operatives and, are in fact, probably better. So we built out a process where if you sign up, you join a conference call, we explain the sort of basics of running for office, and then you talk to one of our volunteers. They'll reach out to you, set up a time to have a half hour conversation, really looking for four key things. Is this person progressive, whatever that means for wherever they live? Is this person Mm -hmm. authentically rooted in community? Is this person willing to work hard? And then ultimately, is this person interesting and compelling to talk to? Do they get us excited? Do they pass our fuck yeah test? Are they... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, from there, we admit people into our support program. So it's interesting. You you actually, and we'll, we'll get into all this. I'm, I'm just so curious about it. You actually turn people away. Uh, we try not to. We do, spend, I would say our first year, we spent quite a bit of time talking people out of running for Congress. <laughs> mm. uh, oh, well. Because I don't think folks realize that there are more than half a million elected offices in the United States and only 435 of them are in D.C. in Congress. The rest are all across the country. To, to their credit, wow. Democrats did such a poor job of filling those offices for 10 years that I can understand why they would 
maybe think this don't exist. Totally. And it's on us to, to fix that and sort of reorient people to this idea that if you care about solving a problem, local government is the place to start. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're going you're gonna to see an impact there. All right. We're going to dig into all that. I'm super pumped about it. Yeah. Okay. So real quick, Amanda, and I think we mentioned this uh, pre-recording, but uh, this is what we do here. We are going to provide some uh, context mm-hmm. and we are going to dig into some action-oriented questions that get to uh, the heart of why we're here and uh, uh, why everybody should give a shit about what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then we will uh, get, yeah, figure out some actions that we can all take to actually help. I'm That's excited. right. By the end of this, by the end of this, Brian's running for office. I think Fair. I might be running for Take down that coffee. Yeah. Awesome. Enjoy it. So Amanda, we, we do like to kick it off with one uh, important question to just set the tone a little bit here. Uh, even though I just asked you what your life story was, <laughs> which kind of negates the whole thing. Amanda, why are you vital to the survival of the species? Oh, I'm not vital to the survival of the species at all. Um, Come on, be bold. Be bold. Um, I look around the world, country and I get to travel and meet with these, ultimately at this point, thousands of young people who have raised their hands and been willing to throw their hats in the ring and say they want to run for office and then actually do it. And many of them win and then pass policies that have made life better for people. Um, and if I could have some small part in that, what a cool opportunity. I love it. See, I'll say. It's, it was easy. <laughs> you got it. You're you're making change. I, I think it's awesome. Um. All right. So, uh, again, some some context. Congress is still super old and super white and and super male. Mm-hmm. And and clearly, like those people have had their turn, Ugh. and it it hasn't been great. But in 2018, that did start to change a little bit. I mean, we had 1992, the year of the woman, and then we made little progressive gains along the way. Uh, but in 2018, right, almost uh, 600 women ran for Congress or governor which is 60% more, I think, about than 2016. Before 2018, a dozen states didn't have a single female representation uh, in Congress. And women just made up just 19% of Congress. Um, but in 2018, they didn't just run. Uh, they won. Uh, women, uh, women of color, people of color, young people, young female people of color. It, it's, the place isn't brimming with diversity uh, now, uh, but, it, but it's a start. So there's now nine female governors uh, plus D.C., mm-hmm. Uh, which which should be a state, but that is an entirely different conversation. <laughs> Women, I believe, are now 23% of Congress. And and white men are now only, I think, uh, 60% of the House and 71% of the Senate. And and that might seem, uh, it might seem insane to call that good news and progress, <laughs> uh, but they both used to be 95%. Um, and considering white guys are only 38% of the population, I, I, I think we are getting on the on the right track. Many of the incumbents uh, or the defeated, uh, not surprisingly, have not been handling it well, uh, old white guys. But as my friend uh, Franklin Leonard, Leonard says, when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Uh, it is not. <laughs> so because we are trying to keep things moving and because, like we just mentioned, there are so many more jobs than just Congress, none of those numbers include state houses, etc. Mm-hmm. But people want to see people that look like them in office, especially the youth. Representation wasn't the only thing that changed, though, in 2018. I think we hinted at after a, a few years of taking our, our foot off the pedal, forgetting all the deep interests that gave us majorities in, in, in decades past, and the election and technology efforts like email directors like Amanda used so successfully in, in 2008 and 2012, mm-hmm. the election of, of Donald Trump kind of kicked into gear a whole lot of new progressive projects like yours to get out the vote, to support science, to support women. Uh, and to support new progressive faces on the ballot, right? So one of those groups was, is yours, uh, run for something. So that's where I want to get to today. 
so we already talked about you had your holy shit moment, right? Mm-hmm. Which was which was the election night. So I'm curious though, just a little a little more backstory before we move forward. What were the what were the biggest obstacles you ran into and in, into into get both getting the organization off the ground and then to actually execute at a high level? I'm curious. Well, for a start, I had never done anything like this. I had never, you know, personally, I'd never been a forward-facing entrepreneur. I'd always been a cog in a machine of a campaign. I had never, I was unemployed. <laughs> I had just had knee surgery, so I literally couldn't get off the couch. Um, I didn't have any money. I put the whole thing on my credit card to start and just kind of hoped money would come if I asked for it. <laughs> And a lot of people told us that this was insane. You know, we did a lot of uh, sort of seeding the field with, hey, this is an idea. Tell us why this is crazy. And many, many folks, especially within the political establishment, were like, I mean, yeah, it's a great idea. It'll never work. You can't, mm-hmm. like, you can't work with candidates all across the country. Legally, it's very hard. Uh, operationally, right. it's very hard. Nobody really wants to run for office. So like, good luck. Maybe you'll get 100 people in the first year, um, which mm-hmm. was our ultimate first goal. And yeah. I think as we thought about how we wanted to push government to look more representative, we understood that we had to redefine what it means to be a candidate, that it couldn't just be rich old white male lawyers. It couldn't just be people that already knew the incumbents, already knew how the political system worked. And it couldn't just be folks who assumed they were ready. We needed to proactively ask people to run because as it turns out, when you do ask, people will raise their hands. And when you say there is training, there is support for you, people will jump in. But if you don't give them the on-ramp or the entry point, they're not going to consider themselves welcome. So it was sort of both philosophically and practically really difficult. So how much did you have to, like you said, realizing that we needed to to change what representation looked like and you were aware of that and yet you had so many people come in. How much did you have to paint the picture for people on that? I mean, of those thousand people, for instance, were a lot of those white guys or was it a pretty diverse crowd from the start? I'm curious. Uh, it was pretty diverse right from the start, which was telling that if you put it out there into the world and say, you should run for office, we'll help you more than just the white men will raise their hands. It's like, why has government been predominantly made up of white men in the past? It's because those are the only people that ever got asked because candidate recruitment right. happened in back rooms through old boys clubs and through you know networks of who, know pe- who knew people. But mm-hmm. when you ask women to run, they will. When you ask what people of color to run, they will. Um, so we were really intentional about that. And it meant everything from cultivating a voice online that was approachable and accessible to doing targeted press and working with outlets that reached young people and women and people of color to most importantly, telling the stories of the candidates who came to us and said, I want to run. And then as the organization progressed, as our folks who were running and winning and running and losing. Because especially women are twice as likely to identify a role model as the person that gets them into the campaign and 10 times as likely to identify training or access to training as the thing that pushes them over the edge. That's crazy. I mean, it makes sense, but but right. And it just shows you like what a huge fucking glaring hole it was before. Yeah. You know, if they're 10 times more likely and yet there's, there's so few people that, that look like them and, and, and can have a conversation and, and can empathize with them. It's, it's a little bit like... Um, I feel like I've mentioned this before as much as I, you know, no, no, no company is, is perfect by any stretch, but I've, I've got an iPhone and 12 Apple products like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I remember when they launched their health app a couple of years ago uh, and it was really cool and it looked nice and was the first way to actually congregate all this information. And then all of a sudden everybody goes like, there's no way to track your period in this thing. Yeah, there's oh, no right. because, 
Right. Yeah. Because it was just six, six <sighs> really smart white guys who'd been there a long time and given us some really amazing products. And yet, like, what is the, what is the one fundamental thing uh, that, that women cannot escape? And it's like, you, 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 all this other, you can pull in health records, do this. And it's like, guys, it's so simple. It's, it's once a month. Uh, like this, this, you know, it's like if it's not there, then then there's no way to have those those conversations. So, so you you mentioned the establishment saying it'll never work, and obviously the DNC has has a has a boatload of their own issues. So we, we've got all these new groups uh, that built up to the most recent election, and, and now, and we have companies or I guess groups like like Higher Ground Labs that are now actively seeking out and supporting even more new organizations that could help further. Uh, ra- raise the tide and and save the whole fucking place. So I'm curious what the relationship looks like now with groups like the DNC and and I guess incumbents that have been there for 40 years. Well, I would say we have been really intentional about building really good relationships with all of these organizations in part because for us, our sort of guiding star is candidates first. What do candidates need? If candidates need help from the DNC, then we should have a good relationship with them in order to get that help for our candidates. If candidates need help from Emerge America or Emily's List or Higher Ground Labs companies or what have you, then we want to make sure that our relationship with the candidate is not going to hurt them in any way. So to that end, we also try really hard not to be duplicative, not to recreate the wheel or not to recreate any good, well-functioning wheels. So where other resources already exist, we will connect folks to those trainings. So we don't actually do training ourselves in any like weekend long run for something boot camp. No, because other groups mm-hmm. do that really well and it's really expensive. And most of our candidates are not full-time candidates who can't take the weekend to go to a training. They need stuff virtually. They need stuff at their like on their timetables. They need stuff that's free. Um, so we try and supplement the, the stuff that other groups have done without overstepping them. Interesting. So what would you say is your, I guess now going forward, is your primary role and and end in in sort of the intake and training and and to all the way to running process and, and how has that changed in the past year and a half? Um, I think our mission has stayed remarkably the same. We haven't pivoted, we haven't altered in any way. Um, what we've done is expand the scope and really um, learn from what works and what doesn't. So we've learned how to better recruit people to from telling stories of candidates to providing access to talking about access to training to what kind of media outlets and what kind of platforms potential candidates are and how many times you need to ask them and all those things. And then what do candidates actually need, both in terms of making the decision and then actually getting on the ballot and then running successful campaigns. Uh, For example, 60% of candidates have told us over the last two years, the most valuable thing, more than money, more than training, more than volunteers, was a friendship with another candidate because they're alone. It's really hard. Running for office is really fucking hard. So if you don't know sure. anyone who's doing it, you can't complain to your staff. You can't complain to your family. You can't complain to your partner because yeah. you're putting all of them through hell. So you, the only <laughs> person you can commiserate with is another person who's going through something similar. So we have been really intentional about building community wow. around candidates, things like that. Um, we've also learned quite a bit about the things that they don't need. Um, like, honestly, and this is a sort of separate rant that I'd be happy to go into. Building technology. <laughs> Please, we love rants. Building technology for or campaigns that require money or staff to use is limiting your mar- your like access to the market as a company and is honestly making campaigns feel like they're missing out on something they ultimately don't need. Can you go into detail on that? Yeah. So for example, what can't local races are won and lost based on candidates themselves knocking doors because it is very rarely a decision between candidate A and candidate B. It's vote or not vote, especially in these local elections that are held be mm-hmm. like not mm-hmm. on November 1st whatever the first Tuesday or second Tuesday in November is, right. they're held in 
April and July and September. So it's not really a decision between two candidates. It's a decision between vote and not vote. And the number one way we know this through political science research to get someone to vote is to have them to have a conversation with the candidate because a face-to-face conversation with a candidate or with someone on the candidate staff or a volunteer or sort of second tier, but with the candidate themselves breaks through the bullshit. You don't remember a tweet. You don't remember an email. You do remember right. the conversation you have with someone who came to your door and said, hi, I'm Amanda. I want to talk to you about your property taxes. That's sure, meaningful. Sure. So what we have found is that our candidates who are, have the time and the ability and the resources to knock doors, which most of these races outside of major <laughs> cities, it's 10,000 voters, 5,000 voters, a sure. couple hundred voters. Right. You can literally talk to every voter multiple times. Yeah, <laughs> sure. If you put in the time. What you don't wow. need is some app that allows you to spam your friends. What you don't need is some app that might, you know, better make viral videos. Like that kind of crap. It's just not necessary for these races. For bigger campaigns, right. it might be helpful. For congressional, sure. for statewide, for presidential even, sure. But like I said, half a million elected officers in this country and let's call it a thousand of them are at the scale that could use those tools. The other half a million are not. So <laughs> sure. to me, you know, when you think about where we're putting our resources, the best possible place to do it is to a local race because the volunteers and the voters that that candidate talks to will also show up and talk and vote for higher Democrats, for Congress, for president, for government. Right. But because they're, they're, they're actually in the booth, in the booth as opposed to not being there. Yeah, Cause they're there. Once you get them in the booth, they're going to vote. And if they're there because Jane Doe running for school board got them there, that's great. You know, I always, sure. I always think about my dad. My dad is a Republican for a long time. He became a Democrat, probably, and probably did not vote for Obama in 08, but did in 2012 in part because I worked for him. He was like, it's in my <laughs> best interest for you to have continued employment. I'll vote for Obama. <laughs> <laughs> but he always tells me, you know, my parents live in a part of Virginia suburbs that used to be very heavily represented by Republicans in the last 10 years mm-hmm. has really gone through a transition. And he said before the November 2017 elections in Virginia, when I asked him who he was going to vote for, he was like, well, I got to show up and vote for Kathy Tran. Kathy Tran is running for House of Delegates. Kathy Tran belongs Mm -hmm. to our synagogue. If I don't vote for Kathy, she's going to yell at me at services next week. She's going to (laughs) know. I was like, well, she won't know. But that personal relationship is really, really important. Right. It'd be super creepy if she did know. That would flare a whole whole host of problems. However, yeah. So I think... If you think about the best place to use your resources, your time, your effort, it is as small of a race as possible, which feels ridiculous to say, but you get to be a big fish in a small pond. You get to really make an impact and the work you're doing helps Democrats across the ballot. Well, and especially if the federal uh, government or or whatever shambles it's in right now is is abdicating so much responsibility as it is. I mean, we look at something like the the coalition of U.S. states and, and cities that have joined, uh, you know, the Paris Agreement or or versions of it, or or making their own, you know, regional networks for greenhouse gases or, or whatever it might be. The point is, is like you you can literally have an impact because nobody's stopping you. I mean, um, Congress is playing defense, and the, especially Democrats in the House are doing a pretty good job of protecting against the worst possible things that could happen that are within their control. But you get to the state legislative level and the city council level and even like the school board level, Democrats who mm-hmm. have power are playing offense and it's fucking awesome. It's, adv- God, it's, awesome. it's advocating for uh, reducing city uh, reliance on dirty energy. It is protecting trans kids in schools. It's advocating for driver's licenses and ID cards for undocumented immigrants. It is like really Mm. meaningful stuff. And it's playing defense in that they're stopping things like heartbeat bills getting passed across the country, which is ultimately how they'll fuck over Roe v. Wade by passing these horrific bills. They get challenged all the way up to the Supreme Court. 
And that's it by abortion in the United States. So for me, I think about if you really want to make a difference, not just campaign wise, but like policy wise, it's local government, 150%. Sure, sure. So I'm curious about that. I've I've had this position and it kind of drives people crazy. And now that I feel like we've, since we made some strides in 2018, people actually don't just spin around and walk away from me when I say this, but I, I, I felt like, and I usually use like a comic book reference. Like there, there's Perfect, uh, yeah. where, uh, shut up, Ryan, where, <laughs> where Bane breaks Batman's back. Right. Uh, and then he has to kind of like rebuild himself and come back that, that all of these groups and, and, and so many of these groups preexisted 2016. Right. Uh, but then there's, there's a whole host of new ones, like, like your own of, of people who were born out of, out of uh, policy or out of out of campaigning or or whatever it might be or just fired up young people maybe technology whatever I, that that so much of this would not have come to be if Hillary had actually won right mm-hmm. the world would be less of a fucking shit show on a day to day and overall basis but I, I can't imagine that we would have ignited this progressive fire that we have now right it's almost it, it has felt like we needed to get kicked in the teeth to to recognize how how far behind we really were because it wasn't just like Trump won three states he wasn't supposed to, or we didn't think they were supposed to. And so he won the election. It was exposing the fact that, and again, I'm like, I'm a massive Obama fan. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm literally listening to Michelle's book for the second uh-huh. time in a, in a month. And, and all of my siblings worked in Virginia on all of his campaigns. I'm the only one who didn't, but you know, we spent a decade completely ignoring down ballot races, all these extra races and local races you're talking about. And it, and it, and it fucked us. So I, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on on the idea that we we needed to go through this and that we're now executing on it on it well to kind of to kind of hand it over to to young people and be reborn a little bit. You know, I would never say it's a good thing that Trump won. It's horrible. So many people are struggling. Yeah. You know, especially the most vulnerable communities, uh, communities of color, immigrants, refugees, our healthcare system. Like it is fucked. And if it forced out of that horrific, you know, catastrophe of an election, some good has come. And that makes me feel like there is hope. So I don't know if I could ever say like, oh, like, aren't we lucky? No, it's fucking horrible. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, like, and this, there, is, I've, that's, this is why I've never outcome. found the right way to phrase it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I find it, it's like very uniquely American, I think, to find the silver lining of the tragedy of like out of the, the wreckage becomes hope. I think. Right, right. Because I like, I, mean, yeah. I get to see all of our candidates, and it's like they wouldn't have run if Trump hadn't won, and they're making right. incredible progress. And I wouldn't trade one for the other, but I also don't have that option, so it doesn't really matter. And, and that's the thing is, it's like it's n- it's not black or white. It's not like look, okay, here's the deal. And like all of these less advantaged people, either either newly disadvantaged mm-hmm. because they fucking want to, or people who have been disadvantaged for 400 years in this company uh, because it's institutionally built that way, and now it's just making it worse. Uh, you know, they shouldn't have to suffer because of this. But I, I, I guess I'm looking at, and maybe this is my own way of trying to avoid uh, and not totally go into the darkness, which is like, I, I guess I'm saying I hope that, you know, groups like yours and the momentum that has started and and people like AOC running and winning and her compatriots running and winning that that's not the end of it, that it's going like, oh, we're, we're, we didn't just do something in 2018. We're actually just, we're building something new. Like it's fucking terrible, but thank God these people, like you said, a thousand people signed up and said like, I have to, I have to personally do something about this. Right. And, and I just, I guess I'm saying I'm, I'm glad that that was the, 
outcome as much as I don't think we're near the actual outcome yet. Does that make sense? Totally. I'm glad that that was everybody's first reaction instead of like, well, I'm going to France. And I think <laughs> I, for me, I think it's Trump was not like the cause. He was a symptom of a decades long mm-hmm. investment by the Republican Party and specifically by billionaires within the Republican Party to, sure. you know, seed the ground with a particular ideology that was anti-women, anti-communities of color, anti-poor. And sure. it's, it's not going to get turned around in two years. And that I think is actually right. the hardest thing to wrap my head around you now for supporters who are, especially those who are new to politics, is that you don't undo decades of investment in two years. It's going to take no, they're not, continued activism because they're not stopping. <laughs> right. They're not stopping. And it's also not like one-off votes. I mean, the th- we didn't just lose offices and, and seats and momentum. You know, they spent a decade literally, you know, building systems and, and building financial networks, you know, to override the ability to flip things in one election. I mean, you know, uh, we have a much better Senate map in 2020 than we did in 2018. I mean, it's not even close, but it's still going to be fucking hard, you know? And, and we've still got, you know, uh, horrible, you know, we, we, uh, all of the uh, felons in Florida that got their voting rights back. And then, you know, you look at what they're trying to do this week. It's like, it's, it's not fixed. No. You know, Stacey Abrams didn't win because of what they were able to do there. It's, it's, it's insane. And you know, we didn't, win, that felt great, but we didn't win it. And part of that is because they've been focusing locally in a way that we haven't because yep. they can do that. And I think part of this is like a Republican donor is doing it for a business investment. A Democratic donor is doing it because he or she is inspired. And you don't get inspired by infrastructure. You don't get inspired by a state ledge candidate in middle of nowhere, Kansas. But those state ledge candidates and those infrastructures are the things that get you access to the inspiration. Because you, sure. I, this, especially as you think ahead to 2020, like the presidential campaign, super important. Obviously, it really matters to be Trump. Yeah. So don't, don't get me wrong. And it will not fucking matter if we do not <laughs> win state legislative chambers in 2020. Because after the census, right. they're going to redraw the borders. And state legislative chambers in about 35 or 40 of the states have control over those boundaries. And if, 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 if Republicans maintain the control that they have, they will redraw the district such that Democrats will lose the House in 2020 and will lose it for a generation. So it doesn't matter. Oh, that's the thing. And that, that, I think, for me, is the thing that now gets me out of bed every day. (laughs) And and yeah, and I'm I'm excited to get to 2020 here because I I think that's the thing. Like, I hope that people saw that their vote did fucking matter because of what the Judiciary Committee and everybody is able to do now because you literally put those people there and now they're able to take action. And to describe to him and say, look, we said 2018 was the most important year of election in your life. Fun fact, if they get to redraw the districts in 2021, like it's that's game over. I mean, it's like it's a nightmare darkness, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's there's there's a number of ticking clocks there that makes 2020 super vital here. Well, and it shouldn't have to be the most important election of a lifetime to vote. It does. (laughs) No, Every election right. is the most important because you never know where the craze is going to come from, but it shouldn't have right. to be. You vote because that's what you do, right. because that's your right and responsibility right. as a citizen. Right. I had jury duty a couple of weeks ago and it was inconvenient, but I believe in civic duty and, and you should do what you do. And, it, you know, I've, I've lived around the world and, and I'm, I'm aware of how little this country actually asks of you on a civic duty basis, which is we don't have compulsory military service anymore in any fashion. We don't have compulsory civic duty of any sort. Uh, you know, we're yes. Voting on a fucking Tuesday in November is kind of a pain in the ass, but your employer is obligated to give you time off. Like, should it be national holiday? Of course. Like shit's broken. However, like just, just, just vote, you know, it's like (laughs) out here in California and it was just the primary. I got to find the numbers for the actual election itself, but 
you know, the, the, the Democratic primaries, uh, you know, turnout in Los Angeles County, the bastion of the yeah, quote-unquote resistance was 11%. Yeah. And you're like, you're not the fucking resistance if you're turning out at 11%. Like, let's go. This is the thing that you've been talking about and bitching to your friends about. 11% is not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Anyways. So, I mean, because this is the, uh, you know, prism through which we uh, evaluate everything, in regards to the uh, the new candidates that come through uh, your organization, what percentage of them, uh, you know, make climate change or and clean energy or antibiotics, food security, um, most of the stuff we cover here on this podcast, uh, a, a focus of, of their of their platform. Why they're getting into it. Uh, it's certainly a large part of them. I mean, it very, really varies yeah. from race to race, but we only work with people who work, who have as part of their values statements that climate change is real. It's a critical, urgent problem, and we have a responsibility to solve it. Um, my favorite example of this, we in 2017, we worked with this guy, Scott Casey, who was running for city council in Blue Springs, Missouri. He wanted to transition the city of Blue Springs to solar energy. Um, it was a three-way... Awesome. Amazing. Uh, he was a three-way race. Uh, it was an incumbent and two challengers, including Scott. He beat out the incumbent, but lost to the other challenger. Um, in the intermediary time, he turned his Facebook group into an advocacy group, the Facebook group of volunteers he built during the campaign. Mm-hmm. When the town council or city council decided to shut down a recycling plant, he then actually like affiliated into a nonprofit that fought the closure of that recycling plant. He's now running for city council again. We just re-endorsed him to be able to have a say in how the city processes recycling, electricity, and uh, ultimately their broader energy usage. Which, like, that's awesome. Fucking awesome. That's, that's so amazing. That's fucking awesome. Um, and he's, in, like, emblematic. <laughs> Did not quit. No, and emblematic of our candidates all across the country. We're currently working with a woman who's primarying uh, Yasmin Tayyip, who's primarying okay. Dick Saslaw in Virginia. Uh, Dick Saslaw is the minority leader of the Virginia House of Delegates. Mm-hmm. He's a Democrat. He's been there a long time. He hasn't faced a competitive primary in God knows when. Mm-hmm. Wow. He is the great biggest recipient of funds from uh, the Virginia Utility Companies, which wow. is like quick flag. <sighs> so, yes, he's yeah. challenged him. Yeah. She's an incredible woman of color. She's a local activist. She's very sharp. Uh, and she's running an incredibly progressive campaign. You know, I think it's important to keep in mind that in place, especially in places where we feel pretty good about the uh, likelihood of the Democrat winning in the general, we should, we, it is never a bad idea to primary someone. Got to hold them accountable no, for it, the decisions they're making. And if their record is good and they've been delivering from constituents, for constituents, they should have no concerns about winning. Yeah. No, I, everybody should be put to the test. And I don't think we need to be crazy uh, radical because we, we also need to get some stuff done, have some people with experience. But one of our previous guests and, and a dear friend of the pod, Andre Jimenez, uh, is running for Virginia 38th and uh, against a, a longtime Democrat, uh, a, a woman um, who she is, I can't say is in the pocket of Dominion Energy, mm-hmm. but has has taken enough where he, you know, I, I said, hey, man, how come, you know, you're not going after a GOP seat in a, ch- in a chamber that's literally down to one fucking vote? Uh, and, and he, you know, she, we can always be more progressive because, uh, you know, climate change, and I, I love hearing about the fellow in Missouri, like, this is not some, like an infrastructure project that we could vote on again in 10 years and come back to it. And, you know, like LaGuardia airport, and it'd be great if we fixed it. It's, it's like, no, there's a ticking clock. And like, we we need people who are ready to take those actions and ready to do it. And, and if you're, like you said, nobody should, if you're, if you're representing uh, your district and, and you're of the times and, and 
and and paying attention to what's going on and the momentum behind things, like you shouldn't be worried about it. But there's no reason we shouldn't try to build a, an action oriented electorate. I guess. And I think it's really interesting. You know, run for something only works with candidates under the age of forty. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, so we only work with young people. No, it's we don't discourage older folks from running. Like it's great, everyone should right. run for office, and. We needed to limit our scope. It's really important to increase sure. diversity, both in terms of age and lens and all those things. And uh, millennials and Gen Zers are the most diverse generation in the United States electorate. Uh, they're the most progressive. They're the most directly affected by many of the legislation being passed today. And um, we grew up in an era where we have not seen government deliver on the promises that it's made to us. You know, I am 29 years old. I'm like right in the middle of this millennial age. I remember 9-11 being a, a momentous occasion in my like formative adulthood. I graduated high school into the recession. I graduated college and like I was very fortunate not to have student debt. I was unusual amongst my friends in that regard. Yeah. I don't know anyone who was really able to consider buying a home. Uh, even like I live right. in New York City. I think about staying in New York City. I can't afford to have a family here. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, what yeah. am I going to do? Fuck, I don't I'm know. not even close. So like there is a very particular lens that young people take to politics given the the sort of circumstances which you grew up. I think the most important one is that in my lifetime, I have never seen a Republican party willing to act in good faith. So why should my elected officials, why should my party too? Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're so far past the benefit of the doubt, right? Yeah. Or there's some good among them. It's like, start another party then because <laughs> the, yeah, like you've over time proven over and over and over and uh, that, that you were, you failed to do anything uh, to, to help to help the people who put you there or to, to help the people you represent in, in any way or the people who didn't vote for you. You're supposed to represent your entire district or your entire state. Uh, and they just don't care. The, the money is, the money is evil and it's, it's everywhere. And, and it's insane to have people in office for 40 plus years and, and have no ties back to, to where they came from um, as far as how they actually use their actions. So uh, looking ahead to 2020, which is not words I thought I would say mm-hmm. this soon, but we we need to. <laughs> Feels like election day was like a week ago. So let's talk about what's different about 2020. So where's your biggest focus? Where do you need the most help? Like where do we most need people to run? What are our weaknesses, our opportunities, et cetera, et cetera? So I think for 2021, I should note it's not an off year right now. We've already endorsed about 100 candidates for 2019. Uh, and we expect okay. to have a, wow. probably a couple hundred more this year. There are elections in at least 23 states, um, including mm-hmm. the Virginia House of Delegates and State Senate, Louisiana, Mississippi, right. Kentucky, gubernatorial. Like There are elections this year, and everyone should pay attention to them because they matter too. <laughs> um, but as we yeah. look ahead to 2020, we're going to be recruiting specifically in the about dozen or so states identified as redistricting priorities by Eric Holder's group. So that includes... What's his group called again? The National Democratic Redistricting Committee, a uh, okay. mouthful... <laughs> Um, (laughs) but we're going to, we will continue recruiting all across the country. And we want to make sure that in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Texas, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, Louisiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New Hampshire, we're running full slates of Democrats, meaning every, Mm -hmm. uh, state legislative race is contested by both a Democrat and a Republican, which feels like a small, uh, like tiny ask, except for that in 2016, 40% of state led races were uncontested. In 2018, that number was about 33%, which still means a third mm-hmm. of all, a third of the country didn't have a choice or a third of the races. Right. Crazy. Right. Um, I just saw an article this morning from AP that said they use the efficiency counter um, that they're using in some of these like 
Supreme Court fights over redistricting. And if the country had been fairly, like the boundaries were fairly drawn, Democrats would have won an additional 16 seats in 2018. So the Democratic yield in the House could have been as much as nearly 50% higher. So like this shit matters. So we're going to be that's the biggest (laughs) thing that we're going to be focusing on is recruiting candidates in those states, but as well as across the country. Um, So as you're thinking about how you can help, do you want to run? Do you know someone who can run? Do you know someone who should know someone who should run? Um, We want to talk to them. Sure, sure. Where do you feel like Run for Something still has work to do uh, as as a business, as an organization? Um, I think for us, we scaled up very quickly. We were five people our first year, about 17 our second year. We're at about 16 now. Um, I would like to be 27 by the end of the year if I could afford it. My dream budget has us at 45 staffers. Mm-hmm. So both internally operations-wise, like how do you scale a company that goes from five people to 15 people over the course of basically six months? Mm-hmm. And then how do you continue to fund it knowing that it's a really competitive market space? Um where does most of your funding come from? Uh, it's a mix of individual donors and major gifts. Um, we have more than okay. 12,000 donors at this point. Our budget for the first two years was about two and a half million, but our budget for the next two is closer to six, which is wow. a big jump. But I think the work yeah. matters. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity to really make a difference. And, you know, I will find the money if I never sleep again. <laughs> so, <laughs> what's so, the option? But, uh, yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. We we don't have the answer is we don't have one. So yeah. thank you. Uh, so I am curious though. Before we get into like the specific things uh, our, our folks can do here, you said that you know you you were your knee surgery and you were the email director and you were the cog in a machine, and now you're scaling up to hopefully uh, you know six million bucks and, and forty seven people. How, how do you can you take a step back and 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 look at where you are and feel like am I on the right path? How long am I going to do this for? What's the next step? I'm curious. Um, yeah, all the time. I mean, I I've been really lucky. I will say I like this is a my dream job in that I get to do something really meaningful and I'm on my own schedule and I don't have a boss and there's like some incredible opportunities I've got. I wrote a book in 2017, like a side project wow. that got published by Simon and Schuster. Sure. So as one does. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm really proud of all that. And it's an incredible opportunity. And I never intended to start a decades long job. So, you know, hopefully you're able to build something that is strong enough to exist without the founder. Um, so one day I'll step away, but I, I love my job. <laughs> That's awesome. What's your dog's name? Her name is Sadie. She's currently sleeping next to me. She's been, well, she gave she's up, been huh? wonderful. Yeah. Brian's voice very tends to put girl. dogs yeah. to sleep. It's very soothing. What? No, that's weird. Um, all right. <laughs> so we've been building to this here. So uh, again, you know, the answer in a lot of, for a lot of these is run for something. But our yeah. goal is to provide really specific action steps uh, our listeners can take. And we like to say with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. And sometimes those overlap a little bit. So uh, I, if they're not running for something, I'm curious, what are the big actionable but sort of specific questions the rest of us should be asking of our representatives? I think the first is paying attention to local uh, representatives. So subscribe to local newspapers, follow them on social media, um, hold them accountable for the things that they're doing. You know, just you asked about climate change earlier. I just saw a story in the New York Times yesterday that municipalities get a chance to vote on the International Building Code, which they like redo every so Hmm. often. Um, Mm -hmm. And part of the building code indicates like the kind of energy efficient and solar efficient and like climate adherent um, policies that they use. And 
countries and municipalities based their local building codes off of this international model. Many municipalities don't vote in that simply because it like falls off their radar. So fascinating. For example, one thing you could do today, I believe the deadline is March 29th, is reach out to your local um, election, uh, local elected officials, and make sure have you paid your dues, whatever it is, mm-hmm. so that you can vote on this in the fall. That's a really meaningful way to make change, effort on wow. climate change. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It could be the last one ever because then all the buildings would be underwater. Yeah, so if you could do that, that would, be, that would be great for everybody. Interesting. Okay. That's really, that's really helpful. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, re- digging in on the local side and, and standing up for or, or building, building a community in any way in the local thing is so important. I mean, uh, same thing. I saw something the other day where Facebook said it tried to highlight more local news, but it couldn't find enough local news. And it's like, well, it's because you fucking destroyed it. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> You know, it's like those things are essential. Pay attention to what your representatives are doing. Ask some questions, build community, go to meetings, all of those things. And again, that's where you're going to see the most change, whether it's building a solar farm or putting it on people's roofs or, or, or windmills or cleaning up your air or water or fixing the potholes, whatever it might be. You will, you will see that. And, and that is not the same thing as congressional uh, impacts. Mm-hmm. What about... What about their vote? Where where should they? You you talked about twenty nineteen, which is which is uh, coming down the pipe, um, and and it does matter. I mean, it got Virginia is the perfect example. I mean, it it came down to a coin flip, and and you know four hundred thousand people got Medicaid. Um, mm-hmm. So so yeah, your vote matters, folks. What where are you really both hopeful and nervous about? I guess in twenty nineteen, I think for me it's really about. Uh, both the elections in 2019, but also thinking ahead to 2020, making sure we're being thoughtful about these primaries, um, voting in primaries. Uh, the best way to make sure that your opinions and your voice matters is to become a reliable voter because you know who politicians pander to? Reliable voters. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so be a reliable voter, show up every time, uh, whether it's a special election or a local or municipal or like I don't know, your housing association or your PTA, any chance you get. I like, whenever I see like, uh, we're running a poll, I'm like, great, I want to vote. I love voting. Everybody should vote all the time. <laughs> My boyfriend's like, we don't How need to vote. get other like people the to think poll. like you? I know voting is awesome. I mean, it's... somebody's asking me for my opinion. I love giving my opinion. So I think. <laughs> and it's official. It's official. So anytime you get a chance to do it, building the habit of doing it is really important. And um, don't be afraid to ask your friends to vote with you. Uh, we know that you you are the best possible messenger um, for getting your friends to show up. What, what was did, the thing? Someone kept saying in 2018, the best thing to do is to bring your bring most, your most popular, bring friend. Your most popular yeah. friend uh, with you to the voting booth. Um, and hopefully there's a network effect there. Yeah, I brought Teddy the dog. So that's... <laughs> Teddy's so great. He's, he's great. Vote, he, abandons, he abandons us on a frequent basis, but he's pretty great. <laughs> um, all right. And, and, uh, and what about uh, their dollar? What about uh, what about other groups like uh, Run for Something who who can have uh, the biggest impact over, over the next two years? Uh, I think if you're trying to decide where to spend five dollars or five hundred or five hundred thousand, what kind of listeners you got here? But um, <laughs> it's the full uh, spectrum. The board, yeah, so, um, shameless pitch, or should not say shameless pitch. Um, Run for Something is the best bang for your buck. We spent about ten thousand dollars per elected official per winner in the last first two okay. years. Um, wow. It is incredibly meaningful and. Whether you're spending $1 or $5 or $10, we use your money scrappily effectively and to really make a difference. Um, our yearly budget, when I said $6 million over two years, yeah, that's big for a tiny organization. And sure. Emily's list spent upwards of close to $100 million. 
Mm-hmm. Some of the party committees are closer to 200 million. Uh, pres- mm-hmm. The presidential, some of the presidential super PACs that they don't even want have already pledged more than $4 million to them. So like in politics, the scale of money is very different. It's kind of like Silicon Valley in that sense. But I, I personally think that every dollar that you give to us will be used very, very wisely. Um, if you have already given us, you're a recurring donor, God bless you. Um, mm-hmm. You should think about giving to uh, other organizations that support candidates. Emily's List, Emerge, Latino Victory Project, Collective PAC, Victory Institute, um, as well as, and I know this is kind of a hot take, uh, consider giving to your state party. And they're doing mm-hmm. incredible work for state legislative races and often municipal elections that uh, is always underfunded and under-resourced and can use every dollar you can. You don't have to like the party to think that they're better than the alternative. Sure, sure. We do have to to if even even if they're kicking ass. I mean, again, all the things that we ignored for so long. We do need to rebuild those. They're mm-hmm. an essential piece of the puzzle, um, and just just um, def- deflecting them is not going to help do that. Um, awesome. All right, so we're getting close to time here. I, I can't thank you enough. If you have anyone else, and either now or or later, kick ass humans like yourself that we should talk to that are in. Uh, elections that are in climate or science or medicine or 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 things like that, please send them our way. We we found that there seems to be a cabal of very smart people who all just I, I believe you're all on the same iMessage chain, <laughs> uh, which I'm very <laughs> je- works, right? very jealous. Uh, I need to just slide in there. So if you have any of those recommendations, we would love them. And of course, we're always aiming for for ladies and and people of color because they need the microphone. We should slide through, run for something's website, and talk to some of these candidates. Yeah, take a that look. She's mentioned we too. have some amazing ones, especially yeah. alumni from 2018. You know, you could do a whole day full of badass women who ran for insert type of office here. Um, right. And I think they're amazing. Their stories are amazing, and the effort that they are already doing to make life better for people will make you feel good, which is nice. That, well, everybody needs that. Um, well, we might <clears throat> hit you up for some of them and 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 yeah. do that. That sounds awesome. All right, so we have a little bit of a uh, <clears throat> what is it called? It's thanks, Brian. It's uh, <laughs> I have in in sixty straight outlines. Your episode sixty. Mm-hmm. Uh, we called a lightning round. It's not. Um, <laughs> so just a few more questions. So uh, Amanda, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Uh, sometime in elementary school, I ran a sandwich drive for a food bank in Northern Virginia and got my entire school to make sandwiches. Got like a write up in the Washington Post for it. And that was very cool. In the Washington Post? I think so. Maybe the Burke Post. Like somewhere in one of the local papers, Northern Virginia local papers. But being able to to do something with your hands that then makes, you know, a lunch better for someone is kind of cool. Oh, that's really awesome. I've got my kids... um... We're very involved with uh, Alex's Lemonade Stand, which is a wonderful pediatric cancer organization. Um, they support both uh, sort of groundbreaking research, but also travel funds for for families with cancer because that's the part everybody neglects because they're too busy paying for the actual medical bills right. that they can't pay. So my kids are really into lemonade stands for things like that. But a sandwich drive is, seems like a really, like you said, a tangible thing that everybody can can do. That's interesting. Do you remember what kind? Of, what kind of sandwiches are we talking here, Brian? That's not the. Point. <laughs> I just feel like it's important to get specific. Okay. Uh, whatever they were, they were kosher because it was Jewish day school. So not ham <laughs> <Nice>. and cheese. <laughs> Into, <laughs> it. Got it. Into it. Not ham and cheddar. Check. <laughs> Check. <laughs> awesome. Hey, who is someone uh, specific in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? Um, 
Rebecca Traster, who is the writer for the New York Magazine and is inc- an incredible scholar. Uh, her work has basically shaped my entire political career. Um, but every time I read a story from her, I come away thinking about it better and smarter and more refined. Wow. Awesome. That That's answer? always helpful. So yeah, no, super. No, that's really Damn. great. That's really great. We will, we will put that in, in show notes. They have, God, they have some talented writers over there, mm-hmm. man. What do you do when you feel overwhelmed by all of this specifically? Uh, I read, prol- I'm a prolific reader, like a hundred, talking about 150, here? 200 books a year type reader. Um, Get out of town. <laughs> shit, I got to 45 and I was pretty proud of myself. Whoa. I'm really fast and I read a lot of trash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is important, but I think that's, I love, I, I love books. Um, mostly a combination of like literary fiction, nonfiction, chiclet, romance, like the smuttier, mm-hmm. the better. Sure. <laughs> sure, sure. My brain. Uh, what, what, what are your last couple reads? Um, there's no I, shame here. There's no judging here. I'm this is a safe place. Um, I just started to get this morning. Um, just mercy by Brian Stevenson, which is like a okay. death penalty. Yesterday, mm-hmm. I finished uh, Queenie by Candace Cardi Williams, which is like a mix of like Bridget Jones' Diary and Americana. It's about a Jamaican American woman in London, Jamaican British woman in London who like breaks up with her boyfriend and has a mental breakdown and it goes to therapy. It's really good. And then um, I also finished reading The Next Year in Havana by Chanel Cleeton, I think was her name. Um, that's like a woman uh, in like during the revolution in Cuba falls in love with a revolutionary. Her family ends up getting exiled. 50 years later, her daughter comes back to Havana to spread her ashes and ends up falling in love with another revolutionary. It's like, it's all the trash, but it's really lovely. So It's historical trash. Yeah. What's your, what are you rocking? You rocking paper books, Kindle? What do you go, uh, you got Audible? I wish I was a paper books person, but I have moved so much. I'm a Kindle person. Plus I like to read at night, yeah. so. I get it. That's it. So nice with that light. Mm, so good. It, it's nice. And, and God, from what I, I, it seems to have not, effect, I only use the Kindle for night reading. And my wife made fun of me because the other night, uh, the lights were all off. Um, this is not about to get sexy. Yeah. It's about to go <laughs> the other way. And all of a sudden I yelled out and I was like, ah, something dropped for a piece of the roof fell and hit me in the face. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, something hit me really hard in the face. And then I looked down. I was like, oh no, it was my Kindle. But yeah. it literally given me a bloody lip. I was, I had been holding Damn. it above my head. Reading just dangerous, passed, you know? Passed the fuck out and just dropped it and gave me a bloody lip. And she was like, I, it's, it's incredible that she sticks around. It really is. <laughs> she's so sweet. I just got to keep putting that stuff in her coffee every morning. Uh, wait, I have, a, I have a quick question before we move on to the next question. What about your book, Amanda? You said you wrote a book in 2017? <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait. Uh, yeah. Um, which the only reason I mentioned is because I'm sitting in my living room and it's staring at me from the other side of the room. I wrote, um, it's called Run for Something, A Real Tuck Guide to Fixing the System Yourself. Um, it is a guide on how to run for office. So the, it's actually three parts. The first is like a civics 101. How does local government work? How do the parties work? What does this whole thing mean? Second is how do you actually run for office? The mechanics of a campaign, like message, mobilization, and money. And the third part is if you don't want to run for office, how do you get involved with the campaign as a volunteer or as a staffer? What is this? Uh, where do I get this? Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Where? Excellent. Where do you usually get books? Yeah, independent bookstores. Okay. Brian. Um, I'm not going to ask any more questions. How about that? <laughs> it uh, might be good. What, People like it. <laughs> what would you change since it was put down uh, on dead trees? Um, I mean, the stats are a little out of date because it was written in 2017. And I cursed a lot, which my grandmother was like, both. she was like, I'm so proud I taught you all those words. Did you have to use all of them? I was like, I did. Boy, I, was, I feel like yeah. we should have Granny on this podcast. Granny's a killer. 
Awesome. Uh, Amanda, how do you consume the news? Twitter during the day. Um, I tend to go to Washington Post, New York Times, Vox, BuzzFeed, and Politico. Sometimes the Atlantic during the day too. Um, and then uh, I usually look at, the, I really like dig in on the New York Times app on my iPad at night. I don't think anybody's answered with day versus night yet. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I try really hard, like once the workday is over to shut my computer. To not, right, right. That doesn't mean I don't like flip open my iPad and poke around. Yep, just start another device. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Uh, yep. <laughs> um, all right. If if you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what book would that be? Mm, that's a really good question. Uh, we have a we have an Amazon uh, wish list with the books yep. all of our guests have recommended, and they can just go there, click on them, and it'll send them to the White House. I'm not a hundred percent sure he can read. Like that's not <laughs> no one Look, is. We get that. No we got to build that into the into the preface yes. here. Yeah, it assume someone's reading it for him, or it it comes with a package of colored pencils. You know, I think he would find what happened by Hillary Clinton to be deeply <laughs> entertaining. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, that's so funny. No, we've I gotten know. a couple overlaps in 60 books and no one has recommended with that one. That's, that's really so smart. Great. You know, like the Constitution, I'm sure he doesn't give a shit about that, but <laughs> oh, what no, happened no, would no. piss him off and that would be fun. So that'd be great. I mean, considering he spent the week ripping on a dead guy, yeah. you know, I feel like you just got to dig in. Mm-hmm. Holy Lord. Is it narrated by, is the audible version narrated <gasps> by her? That would be spectacular if you had to listen to that. I think so. That's like the best part of the Michelle Obama book is, is I get to, oh my she God. is the first thing I hear in the morning and the last so thing many I hear mentions. at night. It's really great. It's adorable. Yeah. How much you love her. <laughs> she's, she's very special to me. Hey, uh, last question. Uh, anything you would like, uh, last things you would like to say to speak truth to power to all the people out here um, before we let you go? Yeah, I think if you're listening to a podcast like this, you are the kind of person that should run for office. <laughs> you are also the kind of person that campaign needs. So whether you're a designer, a developer, <laughs> a tech person, a public policy, or an advertising exec, or whatever it is you do in your 9 to 5 job, from time to 9, campaigns need your help. So um, especially local, don't be afraid to reach out and run for something can help connect you, um, whatever your skill set is. So reach out to us too. So not just for candidates. No, we help plug in volunteers. We have a mentorship network. We have um, resource guides that need creating and updating. So whatever your skill set is, we will find a candidate who needs it. What's the minimum hours per week you would love to, you feel like someone could, could make an effective contribution to, let's say, a local campaign? Half an hour. Wow. Okay. I mean, half depends, an hour a week. It depends what you're doing, bar. but half an hour and you yeah. show up and maybe you help print out walk packets for half an hour or put stamps on a mm-hmm. mailing or clean the toilet right. like that. That goes a sure. long way. Sure. We've, we've talked about it before on the podcast is like, you know, if, when any, when any time anybody's feeling like, Oh, I want to help, but I don't have anything to offer. It's like who the thing that you're good at, whether, yeah, maybe it's your graphic designer. <laughs> like everybody needs that. Like remember yep. something neat, whoever, everybody needs what that, that thing that you have. So take what your, what your strength is. Uh, and apply it because you're probably needed and and greatly appreciated and wanted. You know, a campaign office is never going to say no to someone who wants to bring by some cookies or wants to come by and yeah, I mean anything. Fuck yeah, yeah right, exactly. Everybody can is vacuum. very therapeutic. Yeah. It's very nice. It's very nice. And I'll tell you, our robot one is not getting the job done. No, we we're, need to work. We're going to go back to one. Anyways, Amanda, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, for your time today and for all that you do and keep doing and for your book that we're going to. Uh, yeah, hell yeah. Immediately. 
Thank you to Sadie. I think it's Sadie. It mm-hmm. was Sadie. For being a good um, girl li- today. A little vocal girl. at the beginning, but then she just really got into it, you know? Well, she knew Mama had some important shit to talk about. She yep. Yep. has yep. heard yep. me talk about my rage against the machine <laughs> every day for two and a half years. Does not yeah. excite yeah. her anymore. <laughs> Hey, did you, all those people at the beginning when you said you were going to start run for something and they said, oh, that's adorable. Nobody's going to um, take part. Did you tell them all? Ha, 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 ha. Uh, not in so many words. <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. Okay. Hope so. You're a better person than us. <laughs> um, hey, have a great uh, rest of the day, rest of the weekend. Um, I hope it gets a little warmer up there. And, and again, uh, thank you, thank you so, so much. much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. (laughs) And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. <laughs>